Well, good morning and welcome to Redemption Parker. Glad you're here with us this morning. If you're new, uh, would hope that you'd fill out one of those connect cards. Would love to say hi to you and just continue to do church this way for now. We're so glad you're joining us this morning. I'm pumped for uh, what God has for us in his word this morning, so I don't want to delay too long. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew. Uh, we're going to be mostly in chapter 8, but we'll just look at the last two verses of chapter 7 as Jesus has wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. I'll read it, pray for our time, and we'll jump in. Okay? So Matthew chapter 7 is where we're at. We'll look at verse 28, 29. I'd ask you to listen carefully This is God's word. Matthew 7, 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of your son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we claim what what is true about Jesus, that all authority and all power has been given to him. And and as such, he has unleashed that to us to make disciples of all nations. And so, Lord, make us better disciples, make some of us new disciples, make us grow by the administration of your word and the opening of our minds and our hearts by your spirit. Now we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Uh, when Jennifer and I were first dating, and really uh, when we were first married, and, and actually when I think about it, even today, there, there are times where, where we're driving, I'm driving, and uh, out of the blue, with, with kind of shock in her voice, she'll say, watch out, cop! <laughs> and I'll be like, what, what, what are you talking about? Oh, well, there's a cop on the side of the road. And I'm like... Yeah, they do that, but come on. What, what, why are you, like, why the reaction to cops? Now, now mind you, my wife has uh, been pulled over before. Uh, she should have gotten tickets, but she never has. Uh, take, take out of that what you will, but uh, I have not had that experience. But, but for whatever reason, uh, when she sees a cop and she's driving, she's not only alarmed, she alarms me. And, and you've probably experienced that. Like, oh my goodness, am I, am I speeding? Am I driving the right way? Am I, has my pl- tags expired? Well, whatever. There just is this kind of flinch towards uh, just that, that symbol of authority on the side of the road. And there's, there's this sense in all of us that, that when there is a authority outside of ourselves, a, a kind of a, a flinch away from that. And that, that's been true ever since the beginning. That was true of Adam and Eve. There is just like this idea that we don't want anyone or anything, no matter how good, how powerful to, to exercise authority over us. And how much more for those of us that are Americans, those of us that grew up just kind of the cultural DNA, drinking the, the, the Kool-Aid, drink, drinking the, the idea of freedom and personal autonomy. And uh, our history goes back. We, we, we were a people that had a revolution because King George III, man, he didn't give us representation and he gave us taxation. And, and so uh, we revolted. Uh, we revolted against one of the, the least tyrant kings in the history of the world. But nonetheless, we took ownership of it. We said, we're going to be our own people. We're going to have our own freedom. 
Now that's true of America, that's been true of us for 200 years, but, but moving forward, those that came west, like that's even more. Like uh, we left the East Coast, we left uh, any other sense of government or authority or church and, and, and said, uh, we're, we're going to do the Lone Ranger thing. And, and that's just kind of the air we breathe. That's, the, that's Colorado, that's who we are. Uh, now, we are also a people that champion some very beautiful things in the West. We champion uh, human rights. And, and part of the reason we do that, actually the reason we do that in Western civilization, comes from uh, just the teachings that we're going to look at today. It comes from the Judeo-Christian tradition. It comes from and has a rock-solid foundation uh, in the Imago Dei, the doctrine that you and I and every person who has ever lived and every person on the planet is bearing the image of God. And so no matter what race, nationality, uh, class, gender, uh, you have and I have and they have innate value. That, that is grounded in our theology. And uh, for, for uh, 2,000 years, uh, sometimes good and sometimes not so good ways, Western civilization has uh, adopted that so that uh, it's just been assumed that, that there are things like human rights and, and otherwise. Uh, things like personal freedoms. But, but as we're seeing in, in the West now and in the world, as the world gets more and more global, that, that not all cultures and not all traditions share that foundation. In fact, our very own Western civilization, as it's shifted to secularism, and has tried to hold on to the ethical capital of Christianity, they're finding it increasingly difficult. They're, they're finding it difficult to justify. They're finding it difficult in the marketplace of world ideas that, that there is such thing as human rights. But that's another sermon for another time. Uh, all that to say is that we have some good tradition, some good background, uh, and, and this idea of personal freedom, I think, is a, is a very good thing. But starting about 250 years ago, in the Enlightenment, with the birth and the Enlightenment, authority in our lives came from, uh, before that, came from outside. It came from the state, came from the church, certainly came from our, our understanding of who God was. But, but with the Enlightenment, it began to go inside. It began to go, uh, I am my own authority. And we've been drinking that up for the last 250 years. But really, in the last 10 years, we've seen this go to all new levels. Like, I am my own authority. And so we, we resist any outside authority. And, and out in its place, uh, we've developed this idol of the autonomous self. I decide. I decide what's right for me. And you decide what's right for you. And, and hopefully they don't clash. But, but this is kind of the air that we breathe. Now, I, I think this is a great time to be alive. I think this is a great season uh, to do life and to do ministry and to be a Christian because in the age of COVID-19, man, all of that, that, that idolatry of self and uh, autonomous and, and I can make my own way is, is beginning to be uh, exposed for what it is, powerless. We don't really have control. We don't really have the power and authority to do what we want. And, and there is a longing and a, a, a kind of clamoring in us and in our culture and in the world for, for someone or some institution to rise up and, and exercise a good and right kind of authority. 
And, and then there's, there's others that are like, we don't want any of that. But, but wherever you're at on the political spectrum, we can all agree in the last two months how feeble our, our, our systems and our parties and our leaders have been in trying to navigate and, and make right decisions and, and right policies. Like everyone has failed. Like everyone has fallen short. Everyone has said things that they now regret and, and no one knows the future. And, and so the, there really isn't any genuine power and authority that we can look to and, and uh, kind of hope in in this moment. And that's a beautiful thing because we are now at a moment where the culture at, at large and us individually are saying uh, our self, our, our self-determined will isn't working, our, our policies and our politics and our, our national health organizations, they aren't working. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are in need of a good king who has good purposes and, and good power and can accomplish all those things. And the message today is that there is a good king. And he's got power and he's got authority. Did did you notice at the end of Matthew chapter seven, what the crowd noticed about Jesus? It says, man, I can't see because I'm blinded by the light again. Okay, so I'm gonna guess what it said. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at the teaching. Why? For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about it, is this radical upside-down kingdom, radical new ideas, radical vision for what life is meant to be, and the crowd recognizes in that moment, man, he's got something. He's got power. He's got authority. But it's one thing to say it. A lot of people can talk the talk, but Matthew's going to show us now in chapter 8 and 9, Jesus walks the walk. Jesus has absolute authority. And in chapters 8 and 9, he's going to begin to demonstrate Jesus' authority over sickness and suffering and, uh, uh, and even death and the demonic forces in this world. Jesus is going to exercise authority. And in chapters 8 and 9, what we're also going to see is that authority, that, that power on display is going to do one of two things in their lives and in our lives. When you see and you are confronted with the power and the authority of Jesus, you are either going to be drawn to Jesus and, and come to him with gladness for his power and his authority, or like many, or dare I say most, you're going to be repelled by it. That there's going to be that thing in you that says, I don't really like the idea of Jesus having all authority in my life. And you're going to maybe rework Jesus in your mind. You're going to recast him and you're going to keep him in that place where maybe you've kept him for many, many years. A nice, small, comfortable God that you can control. But I want to tell you, friends, Jesus is having none of that. He is absolutely authoritative. And it's going to draw you to him or it's going to repel you from him. But, but my goal this morning, and I think Matthew's goal in these first three scenes of power and authority on display through the healings is to show you that this king is unlike any other king the world has ever seen. 
He is a king that exercises power and authority, but not for his gain, not for his advancement, not for his, for his uh, comfort. He exercises power and authority by giving it away in compassion and mercy and love. And so I want you to see that Jesus is absolutely authoritative, but he is authoritative in the most compassionate, loving way. And that is to, meant to draw you to him. There's three scenes we're going to look at that kind of just begin to uncover Jesus as the authority and power that he is. So Matthew chapter 8 says, when he came down from the mountain, that's the Sermon on the Mount, great crowds followed him. Now, now we know this is true at different points in the life and ministry of Jesus, that, that thousands of people at some points, when he has to feed the 5,000 and otherwise, are just gathered, clamoring around. It, it is a massive crowd, and they're just kind of moving as a crowd with Jesus. And there's a, there's a buzz in the air. There's a, an excitement in the air. Man, this guy's different. Let's, let's see what's going on. So the crowd is pressing in, pressing in. And verse two, and it says, and behold, now behold there just meant, means look, but in Matthew's gospel, it, it, it really means buckle up. Something shocking, something unexpected is about to happen. And behold, check this out. What? A leper came to him. Now, again, you are the product of 2000 years, most likely of Western civilization, so you're like, of course, a leper comes to him. That's what Jesus does. Lepers come to him and he heals them. And yeah, been there, done that, seen that. No, you need to understand the moment here. The crowds are uh, uh, thousands of people. They're pressing in. And, and if you can kind of picture the scene, uh, all of a sudden you begin to hear some screams. Uh, people are, are crying out. They're, they're afraid. They're afraid for their own lives. And the crowd begins to part and you, and you look into the crowd and you see uh, people are, are running away. And, and in the middle of this crowd, this leper is coming down. And in Luke's gospel, who's, Luke is a doctor, he gives us a little bit more insight. He, he says his leprosy is basically in advanced stages. He is a mess. You need to know something about lepers. Lepers wore outcasts. They were considered unclean. They were to be in self-quarantine. They were not to be living with people. Um, In fact, this was part of the law of God to protect the people of God. In Leviticus chapter 13, uh, there's a whole chapter on how you deal with with leprosy. And leprosy kind of was a catch-all for a lot of uh, infectious and skin diseases. And just check this out at the, towards the end of the chapter. Listen to the description of, of what we're to do with lepers. Leviticus 13, 45 says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let the hair be kept unkept. Check this out. Cover the lower part of their face <coughs> and cry out, Unclean, unclean. Verse 46. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. 
So, so this was not just a disease that caused the person to suffer, a disease with pain. Uh, this was a defiling disease. This, was, this made you ceremonially unclean. You could not live in society. You could not go to temple. You could not make your offerings. In every way, you were cut off from society. But this leper, you got to picture the scene. He is desperate. He's desperate. And so he's coming in. And hopefully this doesn't mess with my microphone too much. He's got his face mask on because that's what Leviticus 13 says you have to do. His hair is all unkept. He can't go to the hair, get a haircut. And, and he's walking and he's probably got his hands up. And in his desperation, he's crying out, Unclean! 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 And the crowd is, is, is parting. And people are afraid and they're pulling their children back. And other people are angry. And they're like, who are you? What are you doing? Don't you know you don't belong here? And they're maybe shouting insults. Maybe they're uh, shouting judgment. You have this because you're a wicked sinner. That's why you're unclean. And so he's heard it all before. And he is just desperate. And he comes with this clothes torn and his hair all ragged and the, the face mask on and he gets on his face. Look at what it says. A leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Do, do, you, do you see the desperation in, in his heart and his voice? Do you see the, the fear, fear of the crowd? The crowd is, is now wondering, what is this rabbi going to do? What is this guy that we're all excited about going to do? And, and this leper comes and he takes a posture of humility, a posture of worship. And remember Jesus' words just moments before this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it's one thing to say the poor in spirit, the broken, the needy are blessed. It's another thing to actually be blessed. And that's what Jesus does. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, there, there had to be an audible gasp from the crowd when, when those that could see Jesus touching him, touched him. Because you don't touch a leper. You, you, you just don't do that. We'll see why in a moment. <clears throat> he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus has all authority and all power. He touches the unclean, the outcast. And with his compassion and love, he heals him. Now that had to shock the crowd, maybe anger the crowd. Jesus, we want you to be for us, not for the outsiders. And so the story continues. Drop down to verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Now, again, picture the scene. A centurion. This is uh, a leader of one of the most brutal forces in the history of the world, the Roman Empire. <clears throat> this is one of the guys whose uh, compadres will... Uh, Jesus knows, nail him to a cross. This is one of the guys who <clears throat> represents a reign of terror over the land. He is 
the enemy of God's people. Not only that, he's a pig-eating Gentile. He is unclean. And yet he comes to Jesus. Look at verse 6. It says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Again, this would have shocked the crowd, but, but this also tells, some, tells us something about the centurion. He's a man of authority. He's a man of position. And yet he humbles himself on behalf of his servant to appeal to this penniless rabbi. And he's heard the stories and something has clicked in his heart and his mind. <coughs> and he goes to Jesus. Verse seven, in Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And again, the audible gasps from the crowd. What? Jesus, you can't do that. You can't go to this guy's house. First of all, he's the, our enemy. I mean, unless you're planning to, you know, shiv him in the back and take him out. Like, no, you can't go to his house. You'll be unclean if you go to his house, Jesus. Jesus says, I'll, I'll come. I'll come and heal him. And the centurion maybe hears the murmuring in the crowd. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> but the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And he's right. He's just simply stating the truth. Look, I know I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Do you hear the humility? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It says, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. He's coming to Jesus says, I believe you are who you say you are and that you will do all that you promise you will do. So you don't need to come. Just, just say the word. I know you'll do it, Jesus. I know you're good for it, Jesus. Look at Jesus' response. Well, first he kind of gives some explanation of how he's come to this kind of connecting the dots. Verse nine, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He's just saying, I understand authority. I understand how it works. I understand you have far more authority than anyone who's ever walked on this planet. And so I get your authority, Jesus. He's drawn to the authority of Jesus. Look at what, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Your translation might say, he was amazed. <coughs> or he was astonished. I mean, think about what it would take for the creator of the cosmos to be so stunned that his jaw drops. You know, in the gospels, there are only two times when Jesus is said to have marveled or to have been astonished. The one is right here. This pig-eating Roman Gentile comes and, and sees Jesus for who he is. And, and Jesus is shocked at, at all the, the boundaries that are being crossed and the faith of this man. And, and he is marveled. The other time comes in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus in his ministry goes back to his hometown. And they, it says Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He marveled that they did not have faith. Your faith is probably amazing to God, either the, 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 the object of it, him, or the lack of it. 
But Jesus is marveling at his faith. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So here's Jesus' response. Jesus said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This guy simply came in humility and said, I believe you are who you say you are, and that you will do all that you promise you will do. Well, let's drop down to the last scene, verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. And so again, Jesus crosses boundaries with his authority, his power, his compassion, and his love. There, there was a, a common prayer in the first century that Jewish men would pray every day. Lord, I thank you that you did not make me a woman, a Gentile, or a slave. A woman, a Gentile, or a slave. And here, right off the bat, Jesus encounters the unclean leper, the Gentile centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law, a woman, and he touches her to heal her. And then it says he exercised authority more and more. This is a kind of king who does not play by our rules, does not bless who we want him to bless. He blesses everyone who comes to him by grace through faith. So the question is, how and why does he do this? Verse 17, I think, is the key to all this. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So, so we can disconnect the dots for a second. He took our illnesses. Okay, we see that, Jesus. You're healing people. All who came to him were sick. The demon possessed. They're being, we, we get that, but, but that's not all that Isaiah says. And bore our diseases. See, what was so shocking about the leper was that Jesus touched him before he healed him. Now, the law said that if you touch a leper, you yourself are unclean. This is the gospel. This is not like any other king. Not like anyone with power and authority the world has ever seen. This is upside down. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells the story of that movie, The Last Emperor. And in the, in the story, it's about the last emperor of China. And this, he's, a, he's a young boy, and he's got a, a thousand eunuch servants. And, and his, his, I think it was his brother or someone who is talking to him one day and just marveling at the life that he was living and the power that he had. And he's still a kid. So the other kid asked him, what happens when you do something wrong? And the little emperor gets a smile on his face and says, when I do something wrong, someone else pays for it. And he breaks, he breaks a jar. And we see later in the scene that, that one of the servants is being whipped as a punishment for the broken jar. And this is how the kings of the earth exercise power and dominion. But in the gospel, all of that gets turned upside down. The king of kings, the one who has all authority and all power, 
He doesn't use it for the advancement of his, uh, of his kingdom uh, and of his uh, growing power and authority. He gives it away in compassion and mercy. This is the gospel. Jesus becomes unclean so that we can become clean. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. Jesus takes away our curse on the cross and he is cursed. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus gives himself away so that we can be clean. We can come into the kingdom. We can be healed. So how should we respond? I would just simply say that when you see Jesus as absolutely authoritative, and he is, but you see that that is mixed with a mercy and a love, you don't have to be afraid of his authority. You don't have to push away. You can turn from your idol of self. And after all, how is that working out for you? How is believing that you are your own God working out for you? I would just say, friend, if if it isn't working out, it's because it was never meant to. And you are invited to, like the leper and like the uh, centurion, come to Jesus and say, I believe you are who you say you are and that you can do everything you promise you will do. I trust you as Lord and Savior and you give your life to him. Now, If you've done that, how should we respond? How should we, as citizens of this kind of kingdom, of uh, citizens who have been loved with this kind of love, how should we respond? Well, I think it's in the the, the scene with Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. When she was healed and and she got up, there was a glad-hearted service of the king. There wasn't like, oh, well, I guess you did that for me. I should do this for you, Jesus. I, I kind of pay you back. That's not it at all. She, she just is gladly serving the king and, and being uh, hands and feet for the king and to the king. That's how you and I are called to live. See, Jesus took on our, our infirmities. He bore our diseases. I, I love the way that the author of Hebrews puts it. Remember, remember what the... the leper had to do. They had to live outside the camp. They were unclean. Well, in Hebrews chapter 13, he puts it this way. So Jesus also uh, suffered outside the gate. This is talking about Jesus's crucifixion. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. We as God's people, rescued and redeemed by his love, are called now on mission to go to the hardest places, to go outside the gate, to lay down our lives for the love of our neighbor and for the nations. Because you know what? Hebrews says, that's where Jesus is. That's where our king is. And that this city, this world that we live in, it is passing away. We live for a different king in a different kingdom. And so let us be a people that lay down our lives. 
However you are living and responding to the current COVID-19 crisis, I hope that your default is to go over the top loving your neighbor and showing them love. Because Jesus the King has given us a command and given us authority and power to love like he loved, to bring others into the kingdom. To that end, let me pray for us. So Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your absolute authority and power in our lives and over our lives. Let us gladly submit to it this week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.